0: Welcome to the Infertile Mafia. That's Sarah. And that's Kayla. It's National Infertility Awareness Week, and the theme this year is hashtag infertility uncovered. We have
1: had some great guests on the podcast over the past year. That's right. We've been out for a whole year now. We're so old. I know, right? We're learning to walk. Uh, We're eating solid (laughs) foods. Yeah. Um, we might have a few words that we can actually say,
0: like we're growing some teeth. Our hair's a little longer.
1: Yep. It's maybe has a few curls. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. We've had some great guests on the podcast that have uncovered lots of different aspects and perspectives on infertility. So we thought this week we wanted to give you an episode every day. Um, for National Infertility Awareness Week and give you updates on some of our Mafia members that we've included on the podcast and share some highlights from
0: their interviews. There are some good updates.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. there are.
0: Yeah. So, without further ado, enjoy the special bonus episode from your mob bosses of the Infertile Mafia. This is a full, regularly scheduled episode, but I wasn't available for the interview, and uh, I'm here now recording this intro.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, on this third day of National Infertility Awareness Week, we're back to your regularly scheduled programming. This will be a nice, full, long episode like you're used to, because it's Tuesday. And Tuesday. Right. Right. We assume you're all, like, Pavlov's dog, like, you s- it's Tuesday, so you're expecting an hour-long Infertil Mafia episode, right?
0: Yeah, they're, or they're like, who's this? <laughs> when did I subscribe to this? Right. Why does this podcast keep popping
1: up every single day? <laughs> right. Um yeah we're like that annoying gnat that just keeps coming back, and you can't squish us, yeah. there'll be more. <laughs> I had so much fun talking to to uh, Andrea. She is the owner, founder, editor in chief the, the she's the gr- she's the girl at pregnantish um and yeah, we'll talk all about. The about pregnantish and what it is and everything, but she also shares aspects of her own personal infertility story. And she has such a touching story about her surrogacy journey involving her cousin, who was her surrogate, and her dad and her cousin's dad, who were both Holocaust survivors. And
0: it's really cool well, emotions. <laughs> Well, I'm excited to hear the episode.
1: Yeah. It's cool. And she was so easy to interview. It was really nice. Cuz I like barely had to edit it because she was like she's a professional. It's she... awesome.
0: Yeah. Well, it's really cool. I'm sad that I missed the interview. I, know. I was we were 1 minute away I know. from calling her and I had to go. So
1: You did. <sighs> I know. But it's okay. I have it FOMO. was fine. It, no, it's okay. It's okay. She was really lovely to talk to. I really enjoyed talking to her. Um, she's she's has has a fascinating story, and I really like Pregnantish. And um, you guys should definitely go check it out if you haven't already. So enjoy this episode with Andrea. So, Andrea, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, Andrea is the founder and editor-in-chief of Pregnantish.com, an online lifestyle magazine helping people of all walks of life, singles, couples, LGBTQ, people of color, navigate fertility treatments and infertility. And she's also a relationship expert and has authored books such as it's okay to sleep with him on the first date, and every other rule of dating debunked. I love that title, by the way. (laughs) He's just not your type, and that's a good thing. And cheat on your husband with your husband. She's appeared in the media countless times, including ABC's The View, Good Morning America, NBC's Today Show, CBS This Morning, The Wendy Williams Show, Meredith Vieira, CNN. The list goes on. You are busy, girl.
2: (laughs) So... (laughs) Everybody's busy these days. but thanks I know. Thanks for the nice introduction.
1: Oh yeah, thank you so much for for joining us today on the Infertile Mafia. It's such a pleasure to finally speak to you and have you on the show. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I'm psyched. So let's start off by telling everyone uh, before we get into pregnantish and some of your you sharing some of your wisdom about how to deal with relationships and infertility, which is a very important talk topic to our listeners. But before we do that, I know you have your own unique experience with infertility. So can you share with us a
2: little bit about that? Sure. I mean, it, it could take eight hours because it was a very <laughs> long journey. <laughs> but I'll, I'll tell you in a more succinct way that the short version is um, at 14 years old, a doctor diagnosed me with endometriosis and told me I may have fertility issues later. But you know, I was 14 and it was the last, and I had just recently gotten my period even. So it was the last thing on my mind um, to getting pregnant. But when I got married, I told my husband it may take us a year to conceive. And I just never imagined that it would take um, eight years before we met our baby just three months ago, almost three months ago, not quite. So um, I did 18 fertility treatments over seven years. I call myself an ovary achiever because <laughs> I did more than most people I know um, we we realized um, in 2015 that we shouldn't keep doing um, transfers embryo transfers without genetically testing the embryos because a doctor said to me you know with this many failures and I'd also lost pregnancies something is up let's test the embryos before we put anything in your body and we knew that I had had a bit of endometriosis i surgery in 2012 to remove a massive fibroid tumor so I still had fibroid tumors I had all these issues Um, the doctor suspected something was going on in my body and we sent our embryos for genetic testing and once we had a healthy embryo or two actually we had a couple healthy ones my doctor at the time said listen this was in early 2016 don't put anything else in you if you want to meet your baby. I think you you should find a gestational carrier. I had never even heard that term. I had heard of surrogacy, but gestational carrier um, is a form of surrogacy. It's when you you're the person caring for you is not um, is carrying your genetic um, child, and uh, that's exactly what we were on the hunt for when we heard the news in twenty sixteen. We spent a good year and a half trying to find a match and that was its own crazy journey um so finally my cousin my first cousin in January 2018 said I can't watch you guys go through any more setbacks cuz we had had two surrogates drop out on us and she offered and delivered our baby end of December 2018 so now I have an um you know I have a new baby
1: congratulations by the way <laughs> thank you she's beautiful thank you so much <laughs> i've oh, been thank you yeah i I'm very in love. Yeah, of course. I've seen some pictures of her on your um, Instagram and she's she's this cutie. <laughs> I, I listened to another interview that you did on another podcast and um, just you shared a little bit more in depth about your surrogacy experience. And I just can't imagine how heartbreaking that must have been to have to have it fall through twice. And then just the this wonderful gift from your cousin, the, the,
2: your story is so special. It is. I mean, I think anyone who's been through for failed fertility treatments and pregnancy losses and infertility understands the immense pain of that, which I had gone through for years and years and years. But when it's human error, when it's a human kind of letting you down and not just hormones or the body, it's another kind of betrayal. It felt like a betrayal. And listen, I think anyone who uh, carries for another person as a special kind of person. I think surrogates are incredible people generally. So it's not, I'm not trying to come down on people who do this. I imagine it was a hard decision for those who left us. Uh, that said, it, it was a real blow. It was, it really set us back and made me feel like maybe this will never happen.
1: So heartbreaking. So. Yeah. But I, um, I, I remember in that interview, um, I think it was on "This Is Infertility" that the that mm-hmm. podcast you talking about. I was hoping maybe you could share just because I find it so incredible um, the story of your cousin and how your father and her father can you do you know oh, the story yeah. I'm talking? I would love for yes, you to I share do. that if you don't mind.
2: <laughs> sure. Well, our story became a kind of full circle family story circle of life story because and it was actually written up in people magazine so it's become quite public so i can share it in a again in a brief nutshell um my my father was born in hiding during the holocaust um we're jewish and he lost a lot of family during the holocaust his my grandfather was in a camp my grandmother delivered my dad underground in 1943 and um and she was hiding with him and and then years later after losing a lot of family my grandmother got pregnant again and birthed my cousin's father and so they have a 10 year age difference and when um, my dad and his family escaped communist Hungary in 1956 my dad carried my cousin's dad on his back and they escaped um, through a lot of bloodshed I mean again uh, my dad's childhood was full of pain and looking for family and then escaping communism and a lot of trauma, I think. And um, when Alana offered, my cousin offered, I said, I think it's so incredible that my dad carried your dad on his back and now you have my back. And and she said, Andrea, let me, you know, try to help rebuild our family because on the Sirtash side, my dad's side and her dad's side, there's a handful of relatives, so many were killed. And that was a very powerful moment for both of us to realize that she could help me bring a baby into the world and expand our family.
1: That's such a great story. Thank you so much
2: for sharing that. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's been, you know, I didn't even process it all until I started talking about it, how extraordinary it, it is. And my grandmother, my cousin has my grandmother's name she's her namesake okay so it started to feel like my grandmother um who died many years ago were part of this was part of this story because my grandmother and alana's grandmother went through so much baby trauma delivering my dad in hiding and everything she went through she lost two baby boys so for for my cousin who's named after my grandmother to help bring it life was was very special um, so yeah, no, I'm happy to share it, it's it's, a, it's an amazing thing.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Let's talk about Pregnantish. What is it? Can yeah. you tell us a little bit about like where does <laughs> where does the name come from and and what was sort of your motivation to launch this online resource for people? I mean, I think I kind of know, but maybe share a little bit yeah. more.
2: <laughs> oh, I love talking about it, so yeah. I'm happy to because I'm very passionate about um, this platform. So essentially, I'm an author, as you mentioned in the intro, and my agent, when you're an author, every year or two, your agent says, what's your new book? And in 2012, after my fibroid removal surgery, I said, and I had been trying for a while at that point, I said, I want to write a book called Pregnanish to help people navigate the relationship side of infertility, all the practical things, not just the medical side how it affects us deeply. Because I'm a relationships author, so I felt like that was being undertold, yes. that, that chapter. Yes. And we all know that. And so uh, then I lost a pregnancy in 2013, and I said, I can't write the book. And a year later, I said, I'm ready to write the book Pregnantish. And then I lost another pregnancy, and I said, I can't write the book. And that just kept happening. I kept having setbacks. Pregnantish, the name came from the fact that I think when you're in the first phase, when you're going through IVF, you are a little bit pregnant. <laughs> so <laughs> if you have an embryo put in you and you can't drink and you can't really exercise and you have to act a little, you are literally in the first stage of pregnancy and your hormones are driving you crazy, I think we're all a little bit pregnant. So that's where the name Pregnanish came from. I, I disagreed with the idea that you can't be a little bit pregnant because when you go through fertility treatments, you are. Um, yeah. And so, I actually had that name, Pregnantish, from 2013. It's funny when when I launched the site years later, people said, "Oh, like Blackish, like like oh. other shows." <laughs> I said, "No, no, I Pregnantish has been in the making for years. I just <laughs> so I had trademarked the name. Um, I just hadn't come out. And instead of it being a book, I realized it's a larger platform. My one of my friends said to me, "I'm struggling through IVF." And while I think it's a great book, I think it's a bigger it's a bigger thing. Um, telling the story of the lifestyle side, the emotional side, the relationship side is, and and my big beef in the category. And I know you guys get this. Anyone listening understands probably what I'm talking about immediately. But the content wasn't up to par with the um, at the time when I launched it with. Um, how, how much this audience thinks about these issues, processes, thinks critically about it. Um, it felt like the content at the time was a little schlocky. It was either um, written by clinics, which, which is valuable, but that's medical. Mm-hmm. Um, bloggers, which is definitely valuable, but it's often first person. Um, right. Advocacy sites like Resolve are incredible, but they have their own voice. I felt like a, a well-sourced premium content platform was missing and it was relegated to parenting sites. So where did I find the best infertility lifestyle content? On parenting sites, <laughs> which is a terrible place to go right. when you're suffering. <laughs> yeah. um, so in 2016, when I incorporated Pregnanish We did some research, and there really wasn't another site, media site, that was dedicated solely to helping people navigate this, and that's why I launched it um, at the time. So I launched it, really soft launched it uh, January 2017, but we incorporated and trademarked and all of that um, in 2016. Yeah,
1: I, th- I think we, as I'll speak for Sarah here with the podcast, can totally relate to what you're talking about, um, <laughs> because you're right. A lot of the information is very clinical, which is great and very helpful mm-hmm. or anecdotal, which is also great um, mm-hmm. and, and very relatable. And we, you, need, you, need, you need both things. But I think mm-hmm. one goal that we had with the podcast was. Was to bring in a lot of those voices in one place, whether it's interviewing an RE, which we were finally able to do a couple weeks ago, or, you Mm -hmm. know, just sharing stories from listeners and you need kind of that balance and you're doing a great job with your... With pregnantish, with that, I've read some of the articles and I'm curious um, how, how, what is your process? Like, how do, how are you able to? One thing I love is that you're giving so many, you're giving voice to so many different types of people, which is really important because a lot of people I feel like are underserved by the infertility community because it often caters to, you know, just kind of your heterosexual couples, married couples. So, talk, can you tell me just a little bit about like how you have managed to do such a great job, um, diversifying your
2: Sure. And and by the way, I so appreciate your podcast and other strong podcast voices, which didn't exist years ago. It's an amazing development. So I think a lot has even changed. Yeah. Since we launched so much has changed. But our process is basically because I'm a content creator, producer, author it was important to me to uh, have professional writers writing for the platform, a professional editor editing the work. It goes through rigorous editing before we publish anything. So we have a submission system, but nobody just submits like, uploads it like some other models where the content can be just put up by any blogger. And we we, we have a submission process. So, um and we pay writers. <laughs> like when you research an article for pregnancy, you're on a contract. So that was important to me. Um, in terms of the diversity in our storytelling, it was a commitment I made early on. I said there's not enough diversity in the category with non-white women voices.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, um, and, I, and I really decided that we'd have to look at our editorial calendar every month and make sure that we are representing an underrepresented person in the story of infertility or fertility treatment. So we've covered, we have certain contributors um, covering um, black women and infertility. Definitely we have strong male voices on the platform. And um, Asian Americans and all kinds of, and trans. Uh, we were one of the early sites to cover trans ivf and our lgbtq category um as uh, because it's rare and hasn't been covered a lot we've become a bit of a hub for other trans people going through fertility treatments and seth who we profiled already a year and a half ago gets contacted all the time through Pregnantish by transgender uh, and queer people looking for support from someone who's gone through it so that's a commitment that we're very conscious of. Um, just because I think so often the story of infertility is told in one way. And, um, we know that, right? We all know that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so, um, just that, look that, at that any media that tries yeah. to like, Exactly. yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> totally. And yeah. listen, celebrities, I, I think it's great when Kim Kardashian and other celebrities are talking about their experience or miscarriages, but that's also not the only me- media tends to love that story. I get why, but there's just millions of people this is affecting who have extraordinary paths to parenthood mm-hmm. and they need to be captured. So, um, that's, that's part of the the goal. But we, we usually, if you look through our content, you'll see a strong relationship hook, um, our essayists are always exploring how they felt not only in the relationship with their partners, but with their bodies and themselves. So that's a big part of the storytelling.
1: That's great. And speaking of relationships, uh, like I mentioned, uh, Andrea is a relationship expert. And so I am so happy to hand this next segment off to you. I have to be honest. We, we get uh, very frequently, emails or comments from, or, you know, DMs or, or messages on, on our Facebook group about um, I'm struggling with my marriage or my relationships at work are falling apart or my best friend, uh, you know, did this to me. She doesn't understand my infertility. I mean, it's constant. I know this is a main struggle that people have with infertility like you already touched on. And um. National Infertility Awareness Week is happening now, and the theme this year is hashtag infertility uncovered. And like you mentioned, one aspect of infertility that's not always talked about but should be uncovered is the impact on our relationships. So I wanted to read some of the most common questions that we get from listeners and let you answer them. Is that okay? (laughs) I love that. Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. (laughs) All right, so first... I'm worried about my relationship. All we do is fight. We've been trying for so long. We're so stressed. What advice can you give for getting through this difficult time?
2: Well, my first, it's a very common question. Um, My first piece of advice is to give both of yourselves a break. Recognize that that's normal and to be expected. In fact, it would be abnormal if it didn't affect you guys as it is. It's very stressful to navigate because think about it. One of our highest values, oftentimes, is family, and uh, the cost is so high of infertility—financially, physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally—so high. So, um, it's for before I say anything else, I just want to acknowledge to, that it's normal and to not be too hard on yourselves. So that it's hard. Um, But beyond that, to recognize that this isn't a forever life sentence, that this is a chapter that can actually has the potential to bring you closer if you support each other and communicate through it. Couples on average don't break up over infertility. There have been studies about this. So if you're going to break up because IVF didn't work or you suffered a miscarriage, this is a sad but true fact. You're probably going to break up over another life event. Um, So long term, we haven't seen that couples um, break up over infertility for the most part. Uh, They do experience challenges. The hope is that you can find support, not just with each other, but with trusted friends, family, clergy, community, therapists, whatever it looks like. Because one key piece of advice I'd give is not to be each other's hero. Sometimes when you're both suffering through a chapter together, You want the other person to be the number one person there for you, but he or she may not be able to, in that moment, be there how you need it. So as much as you wanna support each other and and share with each other, have your go-to people outside of your relationship so that you you have a place to process and vent, and I think that'll help everyone. And just communicate as much as you can throughout how you're feeling without blame. So easy to blame each other for failures or setbacks. the best thing you can do is acknowledge this is hard. Yeah, this sucks, and hug, <laughs> you know, and cry, yeah, and, and laugh.
1: I'd add, try to laugh and laugh <laughs> and laugh.
2: Sometimes it's it is hilarious. Sometimes, oh, yeah. yeah, the the stuff we go through to make a baby.
1: If you can step back and look objectively at some of the things you're doing, it's pretty. It can be pretty hilarious,
2: mm-hmm. which has That's been a-
1: absolutely true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So second question, my partner and I aren't on the same page with fertility treatments. We want to proceed on different paths.
2: What do we do? This is also common. My first piece of advice, well, I don't have all the context, obviously, but so I don't know where this couple is in terms of even knowing what their fertility looks like. Um, if they haven't done kind of a workup like blood work ultrasound or, and also checking sperm, and, you know, th- those that's a good first step because if you're on different pages with your partner, one is ready to start trying and one isn't and the other is nervous about timing or, or fertility windows, I think it's worth saying we don't need to start trying immediately, but what's important as a next step to me is at least having a good window into what's happening in our bodies. Can we both agree that that that's a good thing Mm -hmm. and and from there we'll make more educated decisions um I think at the very least someone who's not ready to start trying would agree to that and if he or she doesn't I think you have a bigger issue on your hands like do you really want to have children together because that's something you do need to look at and you know that's just the reality
1: right that actually feeds into another question I'm going to go a little bit out of order here um, that sure. says, fertility treatments feel very one sided to me. I feel like I do all the work and my partner doesn't want to be involved. How can I get him or her to join me as an equal in this endeavor?
2: Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, it's tough. I most, well, I, we can replace fertility with any challenge in a relationship. That's really the truth. I mean, yes. If you feel unsupported by your partner through a life challenge, the first question I have for the listener is, how have you expressed that to your partner? How can you express that in a way that he or she will hear it without feeling attacked? So instead of saying, you never do blank, you're never there for me, you don't want to frame it in a negative accusatory way, Mm -hmm. that shuts down all communication. And I have a lot of chapters on this in my books about how to get what we need is by being direct not by being aggressive not by being passive but not by being passive aggressive (laughs) by being direct and with respect so so what does that look like how can you invite dialogue and tell someone you know I I feel like I could I really want to share with you after an appointment I really want to share the experience with you um it feels really isolating for me. Like, is that okay? You know, just invite dialogue. Um, that's going to at least bring things to a better level. But the second thing I'm going to say is what I, what I said before, your partner can't always be your main support system. You want your partner to be supportive, but sometimes you have to give yourself what you're waiting for someone else to give you. Um, if, you if you need more support, and your partner doesn't have the capacity maybe even emotionally right now he or she doesn't have the capacity and processes differently who who else can you go to so you're you're really not alone through this um that's an important question so you're taking care of yourself
1: i think that's really great advice i um i know i can relate to that personally because as, and maybe you can too i don't know i um as as supportive as my husband was and is, um, when we were in the thick of infertility, there's just certain things that uh, he processed differently than me, and or he just didn't know how to handle the the crazy crying lady all the time kind of thing. Oh,
0: totally. You know? totally.
1: And so that's when I went out into the YouTube community at the time, this is back in 2012 when that was a... a, a kind of a budding that was a big uh, hub for people connecting about infertility and I kind of found my people that's how I met Sarah my co-host and we're still friends to this day so it just goes to show you kind of the bond um, the strength that you get from other people that are you know going through something similar to you and and also to your point the um the even if as as supportive as my husband was, he couldn't really get the all the emotional aspect of, of being the person, you know, the woman going through certain things. So that was important to me too, to actually talk to other women that were, you know, doing mm-hmm. the progesterone shots or doing all the wanding, et cetera. So I think- You're, you're
2: totally right. right. I mean, that's the greatest blessing for me too, through this sucky experience. Yeah. The community of people I've met that are amazing incredible so they, yeah. you find find your people you know my friend kate at resolve new england always says that find your people and um, those people often are online but also even if i will just plug Pregnantish for a second we do live events across the country so that people can meet in person That's and great. not feel isolated in real life just sit next to other people asking questions and commiserating and laughing and mm-hmm. all of that stuff i mean the, the POI, the, 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 the progesterone and oil shots, all the shots. Like, we had the funniest discussion at one of our live events. Where's the strangest place, like location, not on the body, but out <laughs> where, in public where you've done your shots? Funny. It was hilarious. Um, but we can laugh cry together. You yeah. know, it's a good thing. Like, it, your husbands can't always understand that as much as they've been there with you for that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and I agree with you that in-person interaction with other people who get it sometimes is so therapeutic. Like I met recently a listener who I had never met before in real life and our paths crossed and I, I was able to meet her and we didn't even, she just walked up to me and we just hugged for like we just held on to each other for like a minute never met each other before it's just that like you said that bond um of just just someone who gets it is so important like sometimes that's all you need to help you feel better is solidarity
2: oh totally because it's not you know and that was my big beef honestly with even producers and editors i've worked with through the years you mentioned all all the shows i've been on i've hosted TV, and I've written for all these women's magazines, and I just felt like they were, oftentimes, telling the story of the stresses of motherhood,
0: mm-hmm. and it was like,
2: you know what, trying to become a mother or a father, that's really stressful. You... And where's that story? Right. This is the same group. It's the same demographic. You know, advertisers going to mommy bloggers. We're the same people. We're just not yet moms. Some of us. <laughs> It's um, so that's I think it's going to change. I think the patient voice and the you know where it's being elevated and people are realizing this community is strong, loud, connected, needy, <laughs> um, but it's it's slowly happening, and I'm glad about that because I think otherwise we just find the pockets of groups and stay really loyal yeah. to our tribes.
1: Not yeah. to mention, we turn off ads that keep showing us babies, and so. <laughs> oh, it's the
2: worst. It's yeah. like the worst. It's the yeah. worst. Yeah. Oh, it's it's also it's so silly because the algorithm, if you're if you're searching oh, for know. fertility stuff, just tells you, yeah, yeah, baby's coming. It's like terrible. It's the like torture.
1: Algorithm has not figured out infertility just yet. No, not at all.
2: <laughs>
1: not at all. <laughs> okay, so yeah. this question. Um, is a great one. It's a really common one we get a lot. So this is talking about not your um, spousal or partner relationship, but with other people. So this one's the people closest to me just don't get it. It feels so isolating. How do I deal with their insensitive comments or bad advice? You know, the the old just adopt Mm. a crowd or just relax or put your legs above your head.
2: Oh my God, it's the worst. Mm. I actually want to ban the words just Mm. and should, and at least when it comes to infertility advice, those are all of those words minimize what people go through. Yes, Um, You should just, uh, none of these things, get a surrogate, adopt, none of these things are like overnight easy decisions. They all are intentional pun, labor intensive. Um, So yeah, but in terms of other people's advice, First of all, I think it's important to know that most people are well intentioned because it could be so, it could put us in a rage. Like, how dare my mother in law say blank or my cat or my friend? And that's true. They should, these people should know better, but oftentimes they don't. We're trying to educate people, we pinned on our Twitter, pregnant smag on Twitter we pinned a poster that said the best thing to say to someone struggling with infertility is dot, 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 to listen, Mm -hmm. don't say anything. (laughs) Um, It's like it was a bit of a a joke, but it's the truth and we all know it. Um, So I think we have to teach people what we need because they they are usually well-intentioned. You you have different uh, choices when someone says something to you like just adopt or just do whatever, just relax and it'll happen. If someone says just relax, I used to say to them, you know, I have blocked tubes, endometriosis, fibroid tumors. And sometimes I'd even go a step farther and kind of probably sound really annoying and say the CDC defines infertility as a (laughs) disease. So I don't know if relaxing will will really help me. My favorite was when um, someone I know who's pretty negative told me to think positively. Mm. People who know me know I'm generally a very optimistic, outgoing, optimistic, happy person. Yeah. But with infertility, I was tested, as we all are. And I'd have really hard days. And when someone would say, well, you just have to think positively. And these were negative people telling me. Mm. I would say, no, I think what I need to do is feel what I'm feeling, because this is very stressful. But thankfully, there's, there's help I can get, because I have a medical issue. So I would educate people. But, but i try to do it calmly. And that took time. The final thing I'd say about it, because I had seven years of practice. Um, And by the way, even when my cousin was carrying my, my baby, there was a lot of ignorant comments about her being the mother and how, how, like, it's, it's, there people just don't know. So, um, I think now I, I, I started to realize I'm not going to always take it personally because they, they just, it's ignorance. Mm -hmm. So how can I respond in a way that I'm not getting, getting too emotional because then it's just going to be counterproductive. But that I can educate them a bit. Right. Um and so that became my goal. It's so hard. <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> but you're right. You can't
1: you can't expect people to read your mind and know what you need. So I think you're right, like teaching people what to say to you, um, or using using those moments as a quote, teachable moment for people. Yeah. Um <laughs> as long as you can do it. In a kind way and level-headed and then they don't walk away thinking, oh, she's the crazy infertile person.
2: Exactly. (laughs) I mean, and listen, you might have those moments too and I don't blame you. No, of (laughs) course not. Yeah. But as much as the most effective way to communicate is calmly with a little bit of education sprinkled in.
1: Right. (laughs) I think that's especially going to be true with relationships of people that you are closest to, you know, friends or family. If it's someone random on the street, and eh, just screw it. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's just complete inappropriate. Or yeah. if it's someone random, you should have kids already. How many times do we hear that. My husband and I were married for over a decade. By the time we brought a kid into the world, mm-hmm. so um, we heard that for years before I came out as infertile. Yeah. And you should. Oh, oh we never thought of that. Thank you. Like, what a ridiculous comment. You should. Oh, we should consider we've been married five years. We never thought of that until you mentioned that we should have kids. It's also really presumptuous because some people don't want kids, of course, but um, it's such a ridiculous comment. You could kind of laugh about it. I I never thought of that in five years. Thank you for the suggestion.
1: Yeah, I've I've been (laughs) able to come up with some because I have twins um a question i don't get it a lot but every once in a while i get the are they natural twins <laughs> and so uh, i use that right. as a moment to just you know stick it to them a little bit in a nice way <laughs>
2: yeah no they're real people yeah. yeah
1: no they're they're synthetic i mean what i don't understand that question uh, <laughs> what
2: yes they're natural people <laughs> anyway. have with all relationship chapters foot and mouth like when you're when you're when you're single and you're dating when are you getting married Mm -hmm. and by the way when you have one kid when are you having a second right like it's really their issue not yours Mm -hmm. it's their awkwardness right because why would you ever say that to someone it's so bizarre like that people even speak like this but sometimes it's because they're filling space they don't know what to say and I think so
1: It's It's like it's in most circles. It's an acceptable way to do small talk. It just happens to be very triggering for people who are going through infertility.
2: That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Okay. So last question here. It's a little spicy. Well, or not depending. So timed sex, (laughs) time sex has ruined our sex life. How do you keep intimacy alive when you've been trying for years to get pregnant? It's a tough one too.
2: (laughs) It's hard. It's real. It's really hard to keep it alive. Um, But I think in any long – look, I wrote a book called Cheat on Your Husband with your husband all about keeping long-term passion alive. Even if you don't have infertility, it's hard with busy schedules and just being together for so long. Um, You have to work at it. Time sex, as unsexy as it sounds, you can make it sexier. Um, I have a chapter in my book called Plan to Be Spontaneous. So if you know Wednesday night, that's the night, you can still have fun flirting and, and working up to that moment. It doesn't have to be robotic. Um, it's the reality of even busy working people today. So even if you didn't have infertility, you might need to have time to sex. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't, don't put so much pressure that like, Oh, all, everything, intimacy is out the window. That's just what happens in long-term relationships. Now with infertility, when you keep getting setbacks. So another big piece of advice I'd share is that you should hook up when you're not ovulating. So a lot of times when we're especially going through timed uh, fertility treatments, we only hook up during that 48 hour period. I'm assuming that you don't ovulate more than once a month. Those really, some really lucky people do, but let's say you only have that once a month. It's important to find intimate connection when you know there's no chance of getting pregnant because then you could focus on not just baby making but love making
1: We had um, we had someone in our Facebook group tell us one time that she this this, this was a conversation going back and forth like how do you keep the, the uh, spice alive and she said something like well we just have sex every day so that we know we don't oh miss God. the window and <laughs> the rest of us no. were like girl.
2: You're like the yeah. Energizer you know, bunny. It, <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: And that's so funny. That always happens. Yeah. But I mean, I, you know, when I came out as infertile on Facebook, first of all, the, the reason Pregnant launched as early as it did, I wasn't planning to launch it in January 2017. I came out to my friends on Facebook. And my last line was, because people had seen me on television and in the media living this great life. My last line was, so don't judge a Facebook by its cover. Mm -hmm. And I just want to share that, too, because we, we measure up our lives and our relationships based on what we see, what we hear. We really, truly don't know what's happening behind the scenes. For every person you know struggling with infertility, there are a lot more that we don't know about that we're working with, that we're interacting with, that are more private about it. And so we shouldn't make assumptions that oh, that person's so lucky, uh, they they have a baby. You don't know what their path was to that baby. And um, it's very easy to feel like the only one or the unlucky one. But this is affecting millions of people.
1: Absolutely. Well, last thing I would add to that, as someone who, um, this this was so common for me too when we were going through infertility. and I know it is for a lot of people, but like you said, there maybe not everyone is, willing to share that openly for good reason I mean we all understand why like no one wants to announce like hey my sex life sucks right now but (laughs) I think um something you said earlier in the beginning about this remembering that this is just a just a chapter and not the whole book here and this time Mm -hmm. is gonna pass eventually and so don't beat yourself up if you know months and months go by and you're not having hot sex like it's okay it'll be okay it's totally
2: okay (laughs) and and like there may even be an opportunity to bring you guys closer right uh through this through communicating and supporting each other so but but if you're feeling like so disconnected for a while yeah it's not a life sentence
1: that's great thank you so much for answering all those questions I've got oh, a few oh. a few more for you that are about you if you don't mind so our listeners can get to know you in our out of the box segment. Absolutely. Okay. This will be a lightning round so they can be short answers. <laughs> well, they don't have to be. But so I understand you live in New York City, right? Yes. Okay. So in Brooklyn,
2: New York. Yeah. In Brooklyn.
1: Okay. I know there's a I know there's a distinction. I don't want to well, mess that in up.
2: New York City. I should say it's still one of the boroughs of Brooklyn. I'm <laughs> across the bridge from Soho. I walk to the city. So it's not I should have just said, yes, yes, I live in New York. <laughs> what is your favorite thing
1: about living in, in New York?
2: I love that everything's in a three block radius. My favorite uh, grocery store, my favorite restaurant, uh, dry cleaners, great cafe and bookstore. Everything's right here. That's all the time. New York has that. That's great.
1: Have you lived there your whole life? Is that where
2: you're from? No, I grew up in Toronto, Canada, and then I lived in San Francisco for a short time, and then I've lived in New York now for 13 years. So, I'm still a Canadian in New York. I apologize more than many New Yorkers when I'm brushing (laughs) up against people on the subway. But um, no, the other thing I love about New York, aside from the convenience I should add, is just the drive and the passion of the people. So even when people have chutzpah and they're like being so inappropriate and I just feel like this is a city with a real energy of people who who feel moved by life. And I I appreciate that. I really like that.
1: I was going to say, you're way too nice to be, a, like, a true blue New Yorker. No, I'm just kidding.
2: <laughs> just well, kidding. You know, I've assimilated a little bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, what is your favorite junk food?
2: Oh, my gosh. How much time do you have? Uh, <laughs> well, oh, cookies. I guess cookies. Oh, what kind? I've never met a cookie I didn't like, so really? I, don't, Even- I, I feel like I can't discriminate. I mean, I guess a good chocolate chip, fresh baked chocolate chip cookie. Okay. How do you feel if someone throws
1: raisins in there?
2: No, I'm all, I'm down with raisins. I really like all cookies. (laughs) I, yeah. So cookies, but I, I'm a very variety seeking person. So usually I need to have like something salty in one hand and a cookie in another, and I'll go between the two.
1: Okay. Gotcha. We like to mix (laughs) the salty and and sweet. sweet. I like that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's Um, why I like New Yorkers. (laughs)
1: there you go (laughs) you're adding a little bit of sweetness to their saltiness it's a good mix (laughs) are you a cat or a dog person dog do you have a favorite 90s jam
2: oh my gosh
1: (laughs) it's Uh, too hard to
2: choose that's so hard I love the beastie boys that's like early 90s (gasps) really okay yeah yeah Pass the mic Maybe I don't I'll... know if it's and I wasn't even living in Brooklyn at the time. Oh. Um I no, I've also late 90s like even it's so funny. I wanted that the, that way. Mhm. Backstreet Boys? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, was one of my favorites at a time like it's just funny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, how can you
1: not? So I assume your Backstreet Boys not in sync.
2: Yeah. Okay. We can I we... mean, I, and I moved on. I should say, but um, I like the hip hop a lot from the '90s. Uh-huh. That, that's really my jam. And then I like, if I'm going to pick a boy band, that's yeah, that's the one I like.
1: I'll forgive you for that one,
2: but oh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what's the last thing you watched on TV?
2: Ooh, what's oh? I've been watching an Israeli series on Netflix called When Heroes Fly, mm. and it's kind of like a Lost meets a Thriller meets a a lot of different genres in one. It's very captivating. So I think that's the last thing I watched on television. What was it called again? When Heroes Fly. There are a few shows Fauda, When Heroes Fly that I just got so sucked into and they they kind of have a thriller action but they have deep storytelling emotionally with the characters so they're character driven. I always like character driven shows so uh yeah, I don't watch as much TV as I used to. We got rid of, uh, we, now we have, you know, Netflix and Hulu, and I, mm-hmm. I'm too lazy to look through 800 channels. Yeah. Um, I have, I'm even on a TV show now in real time. I'm, I'm on five episodes of a show on the Reels channel. I haven't even watched it. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's called uh, Irreconcilable Differences, and I shot it last year. And I've been on TV shows through the years that I haven't seen because I don't have the channel. So it's kind of funny.
1: Oh, that is funny. Yeah. They don't, like, send you a clip or a copy or something? I'd
2: mean, I probably ask the network, yeah, but... Um, is that... That sounds so... Like, the way I'm saying it sounds really weird, but I've been so tied up with Pregnanish that mm-hmm. I I kind of forget that I'm on this show, but... If any of your listeners have reels, they'll probably see me at some point on that show. Is it? What kind of show is it? Is it like a... uh, It's just me commenting on celebrity divorces. Oh, okay. So one funny thing I'll say quickly... When I, when I started pregnant and people knew my media life and my books and TV and whatever, they'd say, oh, so you moved on from the relationship thing to the infertility thing. And I'd say, it's the same thing. <laughs> I've just looked <laughs> through the lens of, you know, it's still a relationship chapter. Yeah. So I'm still doing romance and dating and sex and infertility, which um, is under the same umbrella. So,
1: yeah. Right. You mentioned earlier that you're Jewish. So, and staying on the topic of TV, have you seen the marvelous Mrs. Maisel?
2: Yes, I actually know the creator of it, and it's funny because um, he's a Canadian. So, oh. um, in New York, yeah. Oh, really?
1: Yeah.
2: Do, so, what do you uh, think of the show? I think it's fun and whimsical. I haven't really gotten into season two yet. Okay. But um, if I if I pick, there's a show, another Netflix show called Schitt's which is oh. with Orthodox people and their crazy love stories and underground things happening. I've gotten really into that show too. Yeah, but it's it's funny when you live in New York. Um, you know, they sell knishes on the street here, so like <laughs> Arab people sell Jewish food here, and it's it's such an ethnically diverse. Why I love Brooklyn is, you know, black people are alongside Orthodox Jews, alongside Arabs, alongside Indian and Chinese, and it's so diverse. Yes, Toronto was like that too. That that's like one of seriously my favorite parts of Brooklyn. But um, what do you think of Myzelle? Do you watch it?
1: Yeah, I do, and I I really enjoy it. I I actually even listen to uh, podcast. I, I don't listen. I don't watch that much TV either. But I like. Yeah. I actually like hearing people talk about TV more than actually watching it myself. <laughs> I'm one of these weird people. You probably like podcasts. <laughs> I do. I happen to like them quite a bit. I find them much more accessible than TV because yeah. you can listen to them anywhere. Um, but they they were interviewing some people, um, some Jewish New York residents, and they were talking about like what's actually real about New York <laughs> Jews and what's not, and what you know what's kind of a trope and whatever. So it's it's interesting. But I I was it's curious, yeah, I was curious what your take on that was. Uh-huh.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's it's it's so funny because what I was going to say before is when you're in New York and there's a bagel store on every corner and it's just so integrated into the culture here. You don't think, I don't think about my quote unquote Jewishness here. Yeah, Like I, would when I was a minority, I'm, you know, most of my life, Jews make up less than 1% of the world. So they're a true minority, 2% of the United States. There's about 13 million Jews worldwide. That's not a lot. So everybody's kind of connected to someone and related. So it becomes, but I don't think about it unless I'm like dropped in the middle of America where I'm like, oh, I'm the only person,
0: mm-hmm.
2: I'm the only Jew right on an issue. I'm just more conscious of it. Sure. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay, just a couple more here. Uh, do you have any unique talents, like wiggling your ears or be, being left-handed as a left-handed person? I, mean, I can say that you are. I yeah. always
2: think left-handed people are like the most awesome, arty people, artistic people. I am pretty um, artistic. I'm sure you are. <laughs> I what's my unique? I mean, I don't know. I don't think it's unique necessarily. But what people wouldn't know is that I was a competitive piano player for years. Wow. And, um, I, like in you know until i was 18 so i, I took p and i composed a lot of songs so i was very musical and when people i haven't seen in years from school growing up in toronto see me they ask about the music and i'm like what music oh yeah that's used to be part of my identity mm. so that that's a definitely i sing and i so that's something probably that's a talent that I guess I, I probably lost it. My fingers wouldn't play Chopin like it used to. But my grandfather and my grandmother were both pianists, awesome pianists. And it's definitely something I, I love. I love music very much.
1: Oh, that's great. I actually am a musician by profession. So I love. I, I do podcasting as a hobby. Yeah. You- <laughs> Right. That's well I play a little bit of everything I play guitar and I I have a music teaching degree and I taught at like middle yeah. school music for a long time and taught all different types of of instruments but I'm a trained vocalist as well so I and I now and I'm a you like audio over TV. A, yeah, <laughs> Yeah, totally. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah. so I and now I'm a assistant worship director at a church. So that's, that's definitely more my profession. And so yeah. we kind of got those flip flopped. Yeah, but that's so great. That's nice here.
2: Yeah, and I don't have any other t- talents in terms of like weird things I could do with my body. <laughs> I'm really good at being infertile. That's my that's my superpower. Oh
1: yeah, that's all of our superpowers. <laughs> I don't know. I yeah, think I'm really
2: good at not getting pregnant. Right. Getting
1: pregnant. <laughs> I don't know. I think being able to play Chopin is a pretty unique talent. That's great. <laughs>
2: Yeah, you know, as a musician, it's not easy oh, no. composition, but so hauntingly beautiful, gorgeous, uh, gorgeous. And yeah, I, I think one day I'll bring that back into my life. And now that I have a little baby girl, my husband's a great drummer. And I'm always, I'm always curious to know if she if we passed on our musical ability to her, but we'll see. We don't know yet. She's very young.
1: <laughs> I, I wonder if you liked the movie The Pianist.
2: Oh, yes, That's I did. a great I film. Did. That's a great There's film. There's a lot of Holocaust movies with music involved because Jew, Jews also historically have been great musicians. That was a way Absolutely. to channel pain. Right. And um, comedy and music, that, mm. that's a Jewish experience. <laughs> uh, processing stuff,
0: yeah. storytelling,
2: writing, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, that's uh, yeah, I did. That's a great movie. I, I mean, if you asked me my favorite movie, we'd have to do another hour of a oh, podcast. Oh, I know.
1: I won't. I won't ask you that. It's too hard. But <laughs> too.
2: It's way too hard. I'm glad you didn't.
1: No, no, no. I won't do that to you. I've <laughs> only got two more. Okay. So okay. best place you've ever been outside the U.S.
2: Oh, my gosh. That's, a, that's as hard as a movie. Uh, <laughs> I have had incredible... Oh my gosh. I I would answer different things for different reasons. I lived in Jerusalem for a year. That was mind blowing in the most incredible way because it was full sensory Mm -hmm. experience. Um, And by the way, everyone is coexisting quite peacefully there. And it's an incredible place. Um, But but for the fun side of me, Brazil, like I love I loved Brazil. It's such a special place with special people.
1: What did what did you like about it so much?
2: There's music in the streets. Just speaking of music, yeah. um, I liked how joyful the the culture in general. I I remember getting off the plane and saying to my friend, I made a Brazilian friend, of course, on the plane named Jose because they're so friendly, and I got and he invited me with his brother out for dinner with my sister, and I said, are they filming a movie? Why is everyone dancing in the street? And he said, no, (laughs) come to Brazil. So that kind of told me what what. You know, Brazil really has a, a love of life. Brazilians have a love of life, and it's a beautiful place with beautiful people. And uh, of course, there's extreme poverty, and it's not all rainbows and great. But like, I just, I really want to go back. I just loved it.
1: If you get a, if you get a Brazilian wax job in Brazil, do they just <laughs> call it a wax? <laughs> That's
2: yeah, like Chinese food. Uh, yeah, but, yeah it's like Seinfeld. So yeah, I guess they do. <laughs> Listen, I did not want to be in a bathing suit on a beach in Rio. Oh my I gosh, will say that. it's like beyond. unbelievable. I, I felt like yeah, just not um, not looking my best compared <laughs> to Brazilians. But and by the way, I used to be told because I have dark features like dark hair, people in Canada would say, "Oh, you kind of look like Latina or Brazilian." But the minute I got off the plane there, I was like, I wish I looked Brazilian. I do not look Brazilian. I mean, they are a very exotic, special mix of African and white and South American, and they're just beautiful people. They they are. I'm not you know. Obviously, there's diversity there too. But that was that was that was a very awesome place. And then. Yeah, anyway, I could go on. Uh, travel is one of my great, great joys. I've done some travel writing just so, about romance, just so I could really get out there and see more of the world.
1: Yeah, like so. telling your editor, I think I need one more trip to Spain. Yes. Or, I think
2: I need... <laughs> totally. totally. This summer, I went to Quebec City. I wrote it for uh, Fromer's Romance in Quebec City. I was blown away by how beautiful Quebec City was. But that was an assignment. It's, the, it's so fun Oh, that, I mean you've got a good job <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty cool the writing part you know I'm very thrilled to not be on a book deadline after so many years of book deadlines so I'm sure. now I get to highlight other great voices and writers and not I, it's really a joy to not be the main writer on Pregnanish, to to feature other amazing writers that's so great. that's great
1: okay last question what I, is the bravest thing you've ever done
2: I mean, a lot of us could say what what we're doing now with just not just persevering and having resilience to keep doing treatments was, I think, brave because I could have quit. I went on for seven, eight years. That that was a crazy marathon Mm -hmm. without knowing the finish line. That's the hard part of infertility. Um, I think I've been brave in terms of... um, I believe that I'm always inspired by failures, actually, because it means they took a risk and tried something. Mm-hmm. So I've tried to tell myself as I've taken risks to start you know, my startup or to move to New York or to move wherever. Whenever I've moved to California for a relationship that didn't work out, but I never will regret that I moved there. So um, I think it's brave, any of your listeners who are speaking their truth, whatever that is, Living authentically—that's brave because it's a lot easier to press news on life and do the same thing all the time, and not challenge yourself to rise up to your potential of of who you really should be in this world. Because I think it's a kind of Oprahism, but we're all given unique gifts, and the world wants to access that. And so, don't deny not just yourself but others of your gifts. I think that's that's brave.
1: And the world needs all of your gifts. Yeah. Yes. Those definitely. are great parting words. Before you go, though, can you tell all of our listeners where we can find you and Pregnantish and all the things and all the places?
2: Absolutely. Well, I'm the only one in the world with my name, so I'm sure Infernal <laughs> Mafia will put up my name, Andrea Surtash. You could find all my books and my site, com. I don't expect you to remember my name, so that's how you'll... <laughs> See it, or you'll remember my book titles. Probably cheat on your husband with your husband, for right. instance. But <laughs> in terms of pregnantish, um, we are at Pregnantish on all social media. We have very active Instagram, Facebook. Uh, on Twitter, we're at Pregnantish Mag. That's a long story, but that's where you can find us <laughs> there. And um, we have a newsletter. And my biggest goal is to support the community. I there's nothing more. I mean I'm so lucky and so grateful whenever people reach out just know that we hear you and we're here and um just I hope you your listeners keep in touch with Pregnantish because we're doing some exciting things coming up you're going to hear more about us we're we're starting a podcast it's coming out National Infertility Awareness Week awesome um, yeah and it's it's um what's it going to be called it's called Pregnantist. I figured, um, but just in case. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm doing that with Midroll Media. Midroll does Conan O'Brien show and Doctor Phil and some really big podcasts. So I have a lot of pressure on on me. Oh, well, congrats. But I'm up for the challenge, it's uh, because this this topic is endlessly interesting. It will be very different from your beat. Your podcast is amazing, and it's not the kind of podcast I'm doing. Is a a very different angle. And I just want everyone to listen to find out why. Um, but it's part of the repertoire of hopefully all the good content in this category.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And and I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have already been to pregnantish.com. And we've been talking about it for several weeks now, plugging the survey um, for you. the, yeah, absolutely. Cause I think, it, and we did a whole episode on changing clinics and changing doctors. Oh and, and, yeah. So if you haven't taken that survey yet, um, I'll, I will link the survey in the show notes as well, uh, as well as the website and all the places where you can find Andrea. Thanks again so much for coming and speaking with us today. I know that our listeners enjoyed hearing from you, and I really appreciate you taking the time to come talk to us.
2: Thank you for asking such great questions, also. <laughs> and it was my pleasure, and I'm looking forward to meeting in person and giving you a hug in person.
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely. I don't know when it'll happen, but I feel confident but that it happen, will. It'll day. happen. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Take care. All right, bye bye. <laughs>
0: That's it for today. Join us again soon for another episode. That was so cute, Sarah. That's it
1: for today.
0: (laughs) That's all, folks. (laughs) Yibba, yibba,
1: yibba. (laughs) In the meantime, if you need more, join our closed Facebook groups called The Infertile Mafia and The Infertile Mafia Bosses and Babies. And that Facebook group is for Um, anyone who has gone through infertility but maybe now is pregnant or adopting or doing surrogacy, anything that's kind of after the infertility but you're still infertile, you're kind of in that limbo Um, and of course, um, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, give us a rating and review if you like the show. You can email us at infertilemafia at gmail.com and you can find us on Instagram at infertilemafia podcast
0: speaking of emails did you see that one email we got from some random person that said i need money send me money (laughs) yes guys
1: please don't send us emails that say send me money we don't have any no you should know this we're infertile we don't have
0: (laughs) money (laughs) and not money to Uh. send to random people on the internet (laughs) But you can send us an email about infertility stuff if you want.
1: Absolutely. If you want to let us share some kind of unique experience or something unique about you, a good jerk-off room story, anything like that, we love, we love, love, love hearing from Mafia members. So absolutely email us. But don't ask us for money because we don't have any.
0: Hey, thanks again for joining us today. On the Infertile Mafia. Bye!